Hey, this is Kerry Goulet, better known as the Gooch, listening to the Sheriff Podcast. Welcome, everybody, to an exclusive episode of The Sheriff. Guys, today I have a gentleman that is actually one of my idols. And he's one of my idols for, for a few different reasons. And one of them, ladies and gentlemen, is that he's a type of guy that every single teammate likes him. Everybody likes this guy. It doesn't matter who you ask. It doesn't matter how old you are. Everybody likes this guy. Ladies and gentlemen, my, my guest today is the current studio analyst for the Columbus Blue Jackets on Bally Sports Ohio. Ladies and gentlemen, he was the speed skating champion of an AHL All-Star game beating Martin St. Louis. He's played almost 700 games, guys, if you combine the NHL, AHL, and DEL. Ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, Mr. Jean-Luc Grandpierre, how are you doing this evening, my friend? I am great. I'm great, Sheriff. Thanks for having me. And uh, you made me nervous there when you said, hey, I'm ready to go if you are. Like, before we started that podcast, I was like, hey, do I've never heard those words in my career from you? That's for sure. <laughs> Buddy, that's, you know what? That's really, really funny. But but I don't know, man. I, I wouldn't be so, such a humble guy like you because when I was doing my research, dude, you have some serious, serious men on your fight card. I mean – if I if I was just like starting the research and I saw like those guys on the fight card, I would have thought, am, am I looking up Bob Probert? Am I looking up Tony Twist, who I had a couple of weeks ago? Dude, you've you've you fought the toughest of the toughest, man. So you, you should be a confident young man. Yeah, I'm confident. It was uh, you know, by I guess we'll get into it as we speak today, but it's not something that I necessarily look for. It was one of those that uh it just happened organically, I guess, is the best way to say it. I was never one to really look for fighting, but somehow because of my style of play, it came it came with the job. So, you know, I, I was never one to back off or back away from uh, any trouble as well. So I had to answer the bell, as they say. <laughs> for sure, bro. And yet you sure did, Jean-Luc. Like, you really did, man. Every, every scrap I've seen you in, it was a battle. And you're fighting some big, big boys, bro. So I got to give my hats off to you. So, brother, like, as I was kind of saying before we were doing, um, before we actually started recording, is that, you know, like, I've looked up to you for a long time. You know, you're you're only five years old, older than me, but but as we were joking before, you, you look 15, 20 years younger than me, man. You, you've really kept in good health. Man, I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure, you know, you and your wife have a very strict diet, and we'll get into all that. But the reasons mostly, bro, like, when I got drafted to Buffalo, you had just played there for a couple seasons. And I think your departure was kind of around the same time of the draft. And, you know, like I'm, I was telling you before the recording, I'm looking up the roster and I, you know, I see this Jean-Luc Grandpierre and, you know, always oh, a defenseman because I was a D-man at that time that I got drafted. And, you know, like, so you've always been a guy that I've kind of looked for, for an example. And the one thing I can tell you, dude, is that everybody I've talked to, bro, we've both been through the Rochester Buffalo organization. So there's a lot of guys that I played with that that were your teammates, man. And man, does everyone love you, bro? They sure love you, man. You're one good guy, bro. And I hope that you never change, man. Well, I appreciate it. Uh, it's uh, something 
there's something special about sport in general, not just hockey, but that camaraderie that you you build with your teammates. And unfortunately, you move from team to team, country to countries, and you don't really get a chance to stay in touch with every single one of them. But you always want to. That's something I learned pretty early. Just with a smile or treating people right, you can change somebody's uh, outlook on their own life or about you or whatever, you know, about your race. It, it could be so many things. So for me, the way I've always approached people is treat people the way I want to be treated. And, uh, you know, it served me well in life. Dude, it's a perfect motto to go by. I tried to do the same. Like, I'm sure you got it from your mom, which I got it from. And like, you know, that that's a great model. So I, I, I appreciate you sharing that. So, dude, the type of style that I have, Jean-Luc, is I, I like to kind of go to the beginning. Like, I have these big characters like yourself on my show. I want to go to the beginning, dude. I, I want to go I want to go to Montreal. Now, I have down Montreal, but what part of Montreal are you from? So I was born in Montreal, and then when I was about six, my parents moved to Laval, which is basically uh, just wow. North Shore. I mean, you know the area. You played there. So, yeah, it's, it's a map. Think of a suburb of about a million people. So that's what Laval is. So that's why I grew up from literally six till I left for junior when I was 16. Yeah. Wow. So Laval. Okay. Laval. Yeah. Nice, yeah. buddy. So now we're up in Laval. Okay. So now this is okay. This is interesting then because I was thinking now Laval obviously is very close to the city, but for some reason I just didn't have Laval in my mind when I was thinking of the area that you might've been from. Cause what I kind of want to get into is just how it was like with the school and minor hockey when you were super young and what age did you actually get started? Like with playing organized. So I actually started late. I started at eight. So I, oh, wow. yeah, long story short. So my dad was a, uh, he was, uh, so they, they, my parents immigrated from Haiti. They yep. met each other in Montreal got married, they had me, and my dad was starting his practice. Uh, so he was in radiology, so he, he was starting at a clinic, and he had, like, really long hours, obviously. So uh, he asked my mom, you know, to put me in sport, and she said, well, you know, I was playing soccer in the, in the summer, and in the winter, you know, my dad's like, put him in that hockey thing, because my dad liked watching hockey, so he put my mom in charge of everything, so... My mom ended up putting me in figure skating. So about halfway through the year, I think it was around Christmas, we had a recital for for uh, uh, figure skating. And my dad said, hey, I'm going to go catch one of the games. And he got to the rink. And, and there I was dancing around in figure skates. So that's, the story basically goes that he took control from then on. But at eight years old, I actually started playing hockey. So that's, oh. that's when it really started for me. So Pops wasn't impressed that, that you were figure skating. He wanted <laughs> a sport. He, he, wanted, he, he wanted more of a, you know, historically male sport type of thing. Like, you know, well, actually, I mean, I shouldn't say that. Maybe just historically uh, rougher sport, per se. Yeah, I don't know if it was the roughing, the rougher part, but I think it was more of uh, you needed me to really lose a lot of energy because I was very hyperactive and you know, okay. I never got diagnosed for it, but I'm sure I'm ADHD, no, no yeah. for sure, because I've, I was always that guy in school that was getting in trouble, right, because I was talking in class or not behaving. So he was trying to make me lose more energy. So he's like, we need to put him in that sport they're playing. And then he, he ended up growing up and uh, I mean, not growing up, but he ended up 
watching a lot of hockey and he loved like Serge Savard and Guy Lafleur and all these guys. So that's why he ended up putting me in hockey because he knew that was the sport in Canada. So yeah. obviously soccer was big in Haiti. So that was a mm-hmm. given I was going to play it, but hockey was the sport for the area. Yeah, dude. So, 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 so your pops is a doctor. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it was. So now he was, a, uh, he's retired. Yeah. So he's retired but, a while th- back, but yeah, he was. Does he go by uh, Dr. Grand Pierre? You know what? That's a good question. I just like call back him in dad. the day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, back in the days. But yeah, I just call him dad. That's <laughs> yo, of course, of course, he'll always be your dad. But but I'm just trying to think of these dynamics. So this is this is very interesting, brother. So 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 your pops, well educated man, very smart man. He has his practice. He's in Laval now. Were you in like kind of like a like like middle to upper class neighborhood like growing up? Uh, no, I would say very middle class, honestly. Um, I, I think, you know, there was nothing extravagant. Uh, I never went on a vacation really with my, I think I went to a few conferences, like, uh, when they had like those, uh, a lot of them were like over in like Cape Cod or something like that. I was too young. I don't remember. And then Boston area, but yeah. I never, it was never like, you know, I never been to Disneyland with my parents or like, let's take a yearly vacation or anything like that. Cause he was pretty busy with work, and then my mom was a nurse on top of it. Different wow. hospitals, so both of them were working full time. So there was not much time uh, for anything else. Yeah, dude, for sure. So, so how quickly did you get good, Jean Luc? Like, 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 we'll be honest. Like, obviously, you turned into a star, but like, how quickly did you get good? <laughs> well, I never actually turned into a star. So, so I started at eight, and I was like. Uh, I was, I think, athletically gifted. So I had the explosion, you know, the muscles and everything. Not the muscle, but, you know, like the speed. That was a given from the get-go. But I was not like, I would see it this way. Until I was probably 14, 15, when I became a, like a Bantam and the physical part came in, I was yeah. never like a high scorer or the guy that, you know, you're playing against this team, watch out for number four, 34, whatever number I was. Uh, or anyway, I never felt that way. Because, you know, it's not like, and you can, you're younger than me, but like growing up, we never looked at our personal stats. I didn't know if I finished the season with three goals or if I had 30 goals because I couldn't care less. We just wanted to win. So there was no individual stats. There was no way to find them online, obviously, because online barely existed. So it was really about just playing and having fun more than anything else. So I never... I could never tell you if I was the best player on my team or the worst player on my team because I... I, it sounds so crazy, but I've never really paid attention to that. But you were in that in that top pairing, though, like in Bantam. You were in the top pairing. In Bantam, I was. Yeah. But yeah. you have to remember, I started as a forward, so I was a center. Okay. That's how it started for me. I was a center. And you know it is. You know, you, you play on teams, and it was always somebody's dad that was coaching. And then one year... I won the dad. I think his son was a center, and you wanted him to be the first center. And for me to get more ice time, they put me on defense. So that's when it started. Oh. And that was probably, uh, I want to say, just Pee-wee. My first okay. year of Pee-wee is when I switched to D. What about the Quebec Pee-wee tournament? Did not make it, unfortunately. Really? Yeah. So we were, uh, I want to say, my first year, we weren't even close. We were third. And then my my second year Pee-wee, we were in second place. We missed it by two points. So the way it worked for us in Montreal is we had the Metro League, which had basically like, I mean, if I told you the guys that were that I was playing against like on a daily basis, you know, I'm talking about like 
the JP Dumont, the Mark Denise, yeah. you know, the yeah, all the big names like that end up making the Jazz Jaguars. Like we all played against each other in this normal league. It was not Triple A, it was just Double A at the time, but it was very okay. competitive. So, uh, but uh, yeah, my team never end up going to the Quebec tournament, unfortunately. So, but you have a really strong age group, man. Hearing some of those names. Yes, our draft class was pretty impressive. Uh, and uh, if you look at the, so when was my draft class? Oh my God, I'm going to age myself. 1995. And you look at the Quebec uh, Quebec League draft that year. Oh yeah. It was really impressive, the amount of guys that came out of that draft. So like, I know, uh, so Danny Briere, uh, I want to say, oh boy. I think Jason, yeah, Jason. No, so I was in the class of Danny Briere and Jason Doig and all these guys. So there was a lot. So that was the year that Iginla got drafted. It was a really strong class and I ended up yeah. sticking to the seventh round. So it was, uh, yeah, <laughs> I was not really happy about that. Well, I mean, and, and we'll, 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 we're definitely going to get into that too. So so, so one thing, Jean-Luc, that, that I, I wanted to kind of get into, and I'll be honest with you, bro, like, you know, the fact that it's February, right? And there's a lot of like, you know, like sports outlets or podcasts or, or, or shows that, you know, they, they feel they got to get a black hockey player on their show so that they can discuss some racial stuff. And then they feel that they've checked off their black the history box. month stuff. Okay. I'm all done. I got Jean-Luc next week. You know what I mean? Yeah. And like, so for me, it's kind of like, all right, it bothers me a little bit because I feel that, especially with the Subban incident recently, right? Because I'm a podcast guy now. So I pay attention to the other shows. And I'm seeing some of these guys making that as the subject of their show, saying that they're going to give their opinion. And I'm, and I'm like, oh, man, I really hope that they're bringing a couple people in and they have some kind of panel. Because I really hope he's not going to do this show on his own. You know right. what I mean? Because he's a 30-year-old white guy from Florida. Like, you know what right. I mean? And, it's, and that's really weird. And I find it a little bit disrespectful, like, to at least not – at least bring, like, a guest, you know, co-host guest for that topic that has some kind of experience in the matter. Right. Right? So, like, I don't, I don't know. Like, do you feel the same when you see that? Because I know you're in the business, bro. You're, you're a TV guy, right. which I can't wait to get into with you. Right? Yeah. I mean, sometimes you hear some, listen, there's, there, there's certain people that are in the industry that I respect, I have an amount of respect tremendously. I, I respect them tremendously and you hear them talk and a lot of times they will say, they'll be clear about it. They say, listen, I, I cannot imagine what the situation was because I cannot put myself in those shoes and then they will go and elaborate. But like when somebody comes in and, you know, it would be like somebody you know, we're talking about like, let's say violence on uh, females, right? So like uh, domestic abuse is like, you cannot have a show with you and I talking about domestic abuse and know what these women are feeling because first of all, we're not women. We've never been through it. And then, you know, hopefully we don't do that to our spouses. So our parents didn't go through it. Why would I be the person talking about it unless I'm checking that box. So I know exactly where you're going there. <laughs> okay. I just, I wanted to make sure that like that. Okay. So like, I, I, I'm glad I'm not the only guy because it, it bothers me a little bit. And like, I'm only bringing that up because again, like we talked about before the recording, 
You're a distant cousin of Mr. George's LaRock, the legend right. George LaRock, right? And yeah. I had him on my show. You were saying that you were looking it up. And when me and George were talking about Sorrel and what it was like growing up, and trust me, I don't know what it is, man, but I must have like not paid attention to this part of the interviews because I, I, I watched a lot of George's interviews. I didn't realize the extreme battle that he had to go through growing up playing hockey in Sorrel Tracy. I had no idea, man. When, when he this is live on the show, he's telling me about, you know, parents on his own team throwing N-bombs out there. Like, and he's, he's eight, nine, ten years old. Right. I, and, like, I'm like, wow, like, you know what? I had some hard stuff in Scarborough, but it was nothing, Jean-Luc, nothing compared to what George's LaRock went through as a kid, right? And yeah, I'm just wondering it, if you had, like, what was, he said that, and I'm sorry to interrupt you. He no. said that when he was in Montreal before the move, that he felt quite invited. He didn't feel, like, not invited. It was only when they moved to Sorel that he said that those extreme feelings came up. So that's what I want to ask you, because you're a Montreal man. Yeah, and, you know, it's a great point, but it's kind of the same way as you do, as when you look at, uh, you know, I'm in the U.S. now, so it's been 20 years I'm here, and you, you think big city versus small town USA, and it's it's the same thing in Montreal, right? So you have Montreal, who's like a melting pot, or Toronto, that's a melting pot, and then Laval is melting pot because it's over a million people so a lot of people are there as well and then all of a sudden you go to those small small town right where it's completely different and all of a sudden they're not used to seeing an indian or you know a black person or somebody from just a different race and that's exactly what sorel basically was especially back then yes we're talking about 30 years ago now right yep. and that's basically what sorel was it was just that little small town like little baby place where nobody really lived unless you know you you have hundreds of years of history living there through your family on a farm and he went unfortunately for him that's what he went through but when he was in montreal or even for me like in laval i honestly never had any issues because you know my team we had like Italians, Greeks, Indians, yes. me. I mean, it was literally a melting pot. Yes. And that's okay. So your Laval experience seems similar to my Scarborough experience, right? Because of the different nationalities like that, that we were surrounded with as well. And I'm glad to hear that, bro. I'm very yeah. glad to hear that. Um, obviously, I wanted to ask this because this is the timeline, right? Yeah. Excuse me. I'm also sorry that you didn't get to do that peewee tournament, dude. Because I wanted uh, to yeah, talk no, to you about I that. I, know. I will tell you. So, missed the peewee tournament. And I'm glad we're talking about that because I remember. So, right before peewee, whatever that level was, I remember going on a tournament that was in small town, you know, like in the Sorel. It was up in. Actually, you've played there too. It was uh, near. It, it, in Saguenay? Yeah, near Jean Pierre. Don't care. Being, yeah. Yeah. I remember being in a tournament and there was an incident that happened with me on a bus with a player from another team. I don't know where they were from, but it's kind of like from those like, like, dude, if you're in Montreal, you don't even 
say something like that to a black person because you you know it's over, right? But like up there, it's completely different. And I think completely different. You know, sometimes I don't know if it's racism or it's just ignorance, honestly, because you know. I don't think anybody's born racist. It's something that's learned through behavior, whether you learn it at home or at school or the people you hang out with. So a lot of time you see that, unfortunately, more in I don't I don't know if it's suburban areas, but I you know I call it hick down. So that's that's basically where you'll see, unfortunately, more of those incidents happen, especially for you know young kids. Yes, for sure, and I I completely agree with you on on that one, and I I appreciate you sharing that, brother. Um, so Jean Luc, the next the next place I wanted to go, it's I have a smile on my face because I know it was probably a great time for you. Is is Major Junior? So obviously I want to talk Valdor, but you played the one year in Beaupar to start. Now is this the Beaupar in in the Ville de Quebec? That's right, it is. Awesome, yes. bro. So you got, did you get drafted there to Bhopal? I did. So interestingly enough, this is, so I'm playing Bantam my second year and, uh, you know, I'm planning to go play midget AAA the following year. And uh, again, this is so funny because I was just a player on the Bantam team and playing. I've never been to a Quebec major league game. I don't know anything about the league. I don't know anything. And uh, I went to a camp in the summer talking to some U.S. school about, you know, possibly going there in four years or five years regarding uh, scholarships, which was great and, you know, opened some doors for me. And then I'm sitting home and I get drafted, uh, you know, as an underage in the Quebec League in Beauport and get the phone call and I have no idea. First of all, what the Bopar are fan are. <laughs> I've never seen a Q game in my life. Neither my dad did. So it's complete surprise. And we're like, okay, so I guess I'm moving to Quebec one day. But not, you know, I still thought I was going to go back because I was 16 at the time. So I thought I was going to just go play midget AAA because I literally just turned 16 and uh, got when I got wow. drafted. So it was, a, it was a big surprise, obviously, because I never started – coming you know i didn't have an agent or anything like that because yeah like i told you earlier i was just a guy playing hockey and having <laughs> but you must have had okay so were you like fully grown at that point like were you big and strong and a specimen like where were you in that development stage six foot one maybe 160 pounds wow <laughs> Yeah, never stepped in a gym at that time. You know, I you know, there's no working out. Like you didn't know it was different. You know, gym class in school was the only workout I've ever done. So it was uh, it, it was an eye-opening experience, that's for sure. So yeah, I was a very skinny, shy kid that just played Bantam hockey double A at home with my friends. Now, see, the thing is, Jean Luc, is that I mean obviously we're going to discuss like, like it, it, was it a trade that how you got to Valdor or? Yes. It turned out to be a trade that sent me to Valdor after my underage year. And that was, uh, I want to say it was Christian Laflamme that uh, ended up being drafted by Chicago. He was, he got drafted by Valdor, but did not want to go there. He wanted to play in Quebec because that's where he was from. And I was involved in oh. that trade. Okay, cool, man. Yeah, dude, because like I'm a I'm a stat guy. Like I've, I I was the guy on your team that was the first one to grab the stat pack when you got <laughs> to the room. 
You know what I mean? That's who I was, Rayshon Luke. So, so, so I like to look at the numbers. And, and the one thing that really impresses me a lot is when players get to major junior, especially a guy like you that like didn't even like really expect to go there, wasn't definitely wasn't preparing to go there, right? But you thrive. You thrive. Like you, you went there. You had a decent underage. I mean, man, you're you're 16 years old, right? And you know you almost played 50 games, and and, and you know you you're a real player. But then you come in your second year, and although it's a different team, you're, you flourish, bro. You get really, really, you get better very quickly. And then the same thing happens the next year. What was the situation in Valdor with your billets and, and, and teammates? Like, it must have been a good one, bro, because you made some huge improvements. Yeah, it was fantastic. Uh, so the first time that I ever heard of Valdor was so when I was on in the uh, – in Volpart on my underage year, we went, there was the uh, tournament called the U-17 uh, tournament, right? And Team Quebec, and that, that tournament was in Val d'Or, and we end up making it to the finals against uh, the U.S. And Brian Berard was on that team, Eric Rasmus. Oh, yeah? They, they, they were a loaded team. We make it to the final. We're down 4-1 or 5-1. We end up winning 6-5 in overtime. And I scored like the fifth goal, the tying goal or something like that. And I remember the crowd just exploded. And the rink held maybe 4,000 people, but it felt like you were in the NHL. It was oh. like the loudest building I've ever been in uh, till this day. And I remember when I got traded there, I'm like, this could be pretty cool. I just remember that it was really cold. But yeah. I was like, this is a hockey town and this is going to be fun. So that's... Wow. So when I got traded there on my 17-year-old uh, year, great billet. So my billet was – he was one of the part owners of the team. Oh, uh, wow. So uh, they, they took me under. And my first year was just me by myself there. And uh, they took really good care of me and, uh, you know, never – you know, I never had any issues, you know, in the city, although it was small town, you know, uh, Canada. <laughs> never had any issue there. They, you know, they treat you like a king in junior. Yeah. And that's the thing a lot of people don't understand. Like, obviously, in the OHL, it's a little different. But even in the Q, small town like Valdor, you didn't expect anything. But, you know, you get a dealership car at 17 years old to drive around. And, you know, they hook you up with everything for free. It's, you can't yeah. get it. Oh, yeah, man. No, I mean, I, I still can't. Like, Jean-Luc, now that we're older and I kind of, like, I look back and I I kind of see how things are now. And I'm like, man, like. That's still like a level where the players really don't get compensated the way that they should. Like, I know they're young, but like, man, they're selling jerseys in those rinks. Places like the London Knights are getting 10,000 a game. Like, come on, man. You know how like LeBron James is making some noise for like the NCAA guys now? And like, there's some kind of like... There's some kind of like um, endorsement thing now that the athletes can get because of LeBron. I feel that someone should step up like a hockey player for major junior guys like LeBron is for division one guys. You see, so yeah, you're talking about the NIL or the name or image likeness for college. But in junior, honestly, let me tell you something. So. And this is, and I'm going forward here, but I remember my yeah, yeah. first year in Rochester when I turned pro. And I remember walking into a Sprint PCS store to get a cell phone. And I was like, hey, I just need a cell phone. And they're like, 
it's like, well, it's like you have no social security, you know, number. And I was like, well, I'm Canadian. I just came here. And I'm thinking, I'm like, listen, I'm playing for the Rochester Americans. I'm like, I'm a legend. Like, you got to hook me up. I was like, can I get a phone? And they're, they're asking for like a thousand dollar deposit to get a simple cell phone. And I was like, you go from junior where you're treated like a king and anything you needed, you know, somebody in the city was going to hook you up. You know what I mean? It was like, it, yeah, and you didn't get paid. And I get that. But the way you were treated. Okay, I, I see. think that junior, yeah. you'll never get that experience. And it is, as, I think it's, it's a closer experience to the NHL to play junior hockey than being in the American Hockey League, just because of the way you're going to be treated. And for a lot of guys that never made it professional, and even the guys that made it professional, but not to the NHL, they would probably agree that life in junior, you can't yeah. beat it compared to anything else but the <laughs> NHL. Don't you agree? <laughs> I do agree. So imagine the guy that was a star in a place like Valdor and then just shut her down. What he must think pro is must be like heavens among heavens, man. <laughs> right, right, exactly. <laughs> Dude, that's a great point, man. Okay, so yeah, okay, Jean-Luc, fair enough, man. Fair enough. The life experience, that trumps any little amount of money maybe they're compensated. I hear you, bro. I hear you. I, I, I really do think so because the – the camaraderie that you create, the relationship, yeah. which, you know, I, I still have friends from Valdor that have nothing to do with hockey. It's wow. just like, it, it's kind of like this life experience. And then you're, like I said, you're a rock star. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. You go, you're going out after the games and it's like, everybody wants to be with you and everybody wants to take pictures. And it's like, yeah, <laughs> you, you can't put an amount of money on that. Really. I know. You know, yeah, okay, here's $500 here and there. Who cares? Because yeah. although at that age, you appreciate it. Yeah. Now that I'm 45, I'm telling you, I couldn't have cared less if they paid me 10 grand back back in the days because I probably would have made more mistakes with that money in my pocket. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm not going to lie, though. The first time, I mean, I was with the Sarnia Sting right at first. And I remember they, they set us up with like accounts and like we got paid every two weeks. So our 50 bucks a week was like almost $100 because it was only $10 tax <laughs> off. And Man, I had like $91 in that account. I was pretty proud to get, paid, to get paid from hockey, though. Like, I was just proud that, you know, this is because I play hockey. Like, it was a kind of a little bit of a pride thing for me. Yeah, no, absolutely. And then you're, you you get, uh, depending on how many guys you bring to the rink every other day, you get those extra $10 coupons for a Shell gas station. <laughs> <laughs> I remember I was like, boy, I'm buying myself a minivan one day. They call that money around town. So, dude, so, like, all right, so, again, we discussed earlier, or it might have been before we started recording, about about you getting drafted and how strong your your draft class was, right? Now, I don't think it's that bad, bro. Like, your position, like, 179th overall, you know, you went seventh round to the St. Louis Blues. Yeah. Now, here's here's my question to you, because this is what I was trying to figure out. Now, I'm going to assume that Jean-Luc Grandpierre and the St. Louis Blues didn't agree to terms those two years after you got drafted, right? I'm going to assume that. Now, here's my question. Did the Buffalo Sabres just step in and offer you a two-way contract? Like, how the heck did a St. Louis Blue draft pick end up playing in Rochester, New York as first-year pro? Well, I'll tell you the story. Uh, 
I was in Valdor, my 18 year old. So I've been to one training camp in St. Louis. That's it. And that was my draft year. And I think it was that December, uh, I got a call and saying I got traded. I thought I was being traded from Valdor. Oh, you got else. traded. But yeah, basically, the I think, uh, yeah, the St. Louis Blues traded me to the Buffalo Sabres. And it was oh. for like, I, I don't remember who the player was, a Yuri Yemelaf or something like that. Cool. So it was man. an actual player. And then I got, and I was part of that trade. So All I, right. there was no contract you know, negotiation or anything like that with St. Louis. Cause like I said, they barely knew me cause I was at camp for like what five days and then went, you know, went back to junior. So that was it. Okay. So you got traded to Buffalo. Okay. Correct. So now this is even juicier. Okay. So now, <laughs> so did you, so you, but you got traded before that two year deadline. So did you, so you, you had to sign your entry level on that July 1st, after your 19-year-old season, just like everybody else, right? Correct. With Buffalo, yeah. which you did. Yes. So you signed your three-year. Now, was the, who was the GM? Was Darcy Regeer the GM at that time? When I signed Darcy Regeer, I believe he was. Yeah, so I think John Muckler John was Muckler. there when, when the trade happened. But I think Darcy Regeer was the GM when I signed my first contract. I'm pretty sure. Okay, so now the reason why I'm asking Jean-Luc is because obviously this is my draft team and I went through all this, right? The Buffalo Sabres, man, especially at this time, like when me and you were there, when Darcy and, you know, Lindy Ruff was the coach and all this kind of stuff, man, they were an organization that just stuck to their guns. They did not budge for nobody. We all know what happened with the captain, Michael Pekka. They were like $100,000 away from uh, like an extension, and Buffalo just would not cave in and give them a little bit more. And Pekka's like, see you later. You know what I mean? And like, so we know that they're a proud organization. Like, I was very proud to be there. Like, I'm going to ask you about what your experience a lot of people, because of Buffalo's struggles lately, Jean-Luc, this is another topic. They 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 look at Buffalo as as not as a strong like hockey spot now. And I'm one of the voices that are trying to say, look, I know they've sucked lately, but this is an organization not to be messed with, man. This is a hockey stronghold. The city might not be the brightest, but that is a hockey town, my man. Do you uh, feel absolutely. the same way? Oh yeah. I think Buffalo, I would say Buffalo, Minnesota are the closest thing in the States to an Amer to a Canadian market. And those yeah. fans, you know, the reason they're not going to the games right now is not because they don't like hockey. It's because they want to make a statement. You know, in yes. the States, you don't see that unless it's with the NFL or they don't like the owners. But that's literally the only reason they're not going to the games right now. And I think for the Buffalo Sabres organization, they need to gain that trust back with the public. And trust me, they will sell out every single game. You see what they're doing? Um, I mean, I, I wish it was more of a permanent thing with the jersey. But you see how they're going back to the, the jerseys that me and you wore, bro, for the, the uh, third yeah. jersey? That's I think right. it's their it's third jersey, shoulder. though. Did you, did you, you knew that, though, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. I, I love that jersey. But to go back to the Buffalo organization, honestly – I was talking to, oh my gosh, who was I talking to? Ah, I was talking to Painter. Oh, Jason, Jason Payne. 
I was yeah. talking to him this week. Uh, I, I was just in Cincinnati and I, I stopped by to see him. And I was talking to him about my experience in Buffalo and how they prepared you to turn pro. Yeah. Spending those six weeks in the summer at the triad apartments. Yeah. <laughs> those were the best days of my life. I would go there, train, and then you get to train with all the guys. You know, Pex was there and Rob Ray was there and Daryl yeah. Shannon. And then you get them, you know, meet the Jim Pizzatelli, pizza, my man. Yeah. And, and those guys, like, they made you feel at home. And then next thing you know, you're going to training camp and you feel like you're part of the family. Because I remember my first camp in St. Louis, I was like, okay, okay, so that's Chris Bronger. And that's, you know, uh, that's Tony Twist. I know not to go near this guy. It was like, you don't know anyone, but it, it was so nice in Buffalo the way they showed you how to train, how to eat, how to shop to really prepare you for that pro life. So there's some pluses and minus with every organization, but I think Buffalo, they do a, they do a tremendous job at preparing their young prospect to turn pro. Yeah, Jean-Luc, I'm so glad you said that, man, because I, I couldn't I couldn't agree with you more, man. I'm assuming that uh, Mr. Don Luce was an influence on you when you were part of that organization in Buffalo? Oh, yeah, big time. Don Lewis was awesome. I was, uh, he was one of these guys, like, you would literally come. I think me, I was with Marty Baron and Danny Amell in our apartment. And <laughs> Don Lewis and Larry Carrier would come in. Literally, we'd be playing PlayStation, and they'd come in and just hang out with us. And they would just sit on the couch just to check on us and see how we're doing, and then would invite us to like events at their houses with their kids and daughters and everything. It was like, it, it was really incredible. So yeah, Don Luce, uh, Larry Carrier, they, they were like class act all the way. Yeah, dude, I'm actually going to have, um, I, I like, I'm sure, I'm, I'm sure you know about Don Luce's daughter and um, I, you know, we follow each other on Facebook and I connected with her recently and said, look, I got to get your dad on my show. Would you ask him? And, and she was able to connect us and he's going to be on soon. And it's so oh, yeah. cool that you said, oh, yeah, bro. It's so cool that he's a really big deal to me, man. It's so cool that you said pizza's name, too, because I got a hold of Jim Pizza Telly's son. And I'm like, tell your dad I want him on my show. And he's like, yeah, I'll get you his contact. So he just sent me his number yesterday. So I'm getting pizza on the show, too, man. You know how many oh, people yeah. want to hear from Pizza Telly? Tell him Jim Pizza Telly's story, man. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So, <laughs> what? so Pizza was the funniest guy because he, he was like, always try to arrange some stuff behind the scene. And it was like, like, I remember my first year. Like, I think one of my very first fight was in Philadelphia, and somehow I got tangled with uh, Sandy McCarthy. And I, I was like, oh, dude, I was uh, like 20, I think I was 20 or 21 years old, and I just happened to be at the wrong place at the wrong time. And Paul Cruz, <laughs> Paul Cruz is fighting in one corner, and I think Rob Ray, yeah. Rob Ray somewhere, yeah. and I'm in the middle of the ice just holding on to this guy. But you would see Pizza come in the locker room before the game, and you know, do that wipe with his face and be like, yo, man, tonight I got 20. You got to take this guy. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you got to take this guy. And then my, my boy Razor there. Hey, hey, Razor, what you going to do? What you going to do? And it was like, you would have a fight card set up for us. And it was so funny. But obviously, I wasn't there long enough uh, to go through all his antics. Uh, but like, I, he's a guy that... Uh, Every time I hear any Michael Jackson songs, first of all, I think of pizza doing some dancing in the middle of the locker room. But he let 
loose and he let you know everybody absolutely had the utmost respect for him i've never heard a bad thing about him and there's a reason for it he's my boy <laughs> yes buddy and I'm, I'm when i think of pizza i think of the the the, the boxing ring outfits you know the uh, the the boxing robes that he'd have for Razor and, and and for Bolts and Bolton's bomb and and like there's a couple of players man that I really want to talk to you about because like you had a chance to play with these guys and they're so important to me like 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 I'm 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 looking at how okay first of all bro I got to give you some credit here because like I told you I'm a stats guy I'm looking at your first year playing for the Rochester Americans I did the same thing at the same age I'm looking at your games played. I'm looking at all this, and I'm like, wow, bro, this guy just stepped in, played as a 20-year-old for the Amherst, and did a great job. Now, this man comes back, second-year pro. And I want to ask you about what part of the season were you up? Did you make the team? Did you get called up a little bit in? Because I've seen the 16 games, Jean-Luc, in your second-year pro. I I think, uh, so I got called up at some point in the season. So my first year, it was fully in the American Hockey League. Uh, and then, uh, you know, we're talking about Don Luce and Larry Carrier. And I, I've had a few meetings with them because our team was so bad that year. Really? That because of just me being physical, we had, uh, <laughs> I fought way too much. And I was not a fighter in junior. And I <laughs> My first year, they came to me and they said, we didn't draft you to fight. Like, you need to tone it down. And I was like, all right, I'm going to figure a way. But, you know, if, you know, if you've seen me play, I was never one to instigate anything. But I was very physical. I love to hit. Yeah. For me, the noise of somebody's body being in the glass was the best noise in hockey. Better than scoring a goal. And Rattling the glass. Yes, during the glass rattle. And obviously in Rochester, it was hard to rattle that glass because they were like cement walls. But every time I rattled the glass, somebody was coming after me and I was never going to back away from it. So that's where all those fighting majors came from. But wow. uh, it was, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, after my first year and a half, I got the call. I want to say it was sometime in January uh, that okay. I was being called up. And that's when I played my first NHL game. So those 16 games, on my second year were basically all my second year toward the what tail was, end of the season. So it, it was all one stint, John Luke, or were you sent down, called up, sent down? I believe it was. Cause that's a long time. All, yeah. I think it was probably just one stint, honestly. Cause I remember the second year. So that would be uh 97. So 98, 99. I spent the second part of the season with, the Buffalo Sabres and I never went back down because yeah. Rochester went to the Calder Cup finals and I missed everything yes. because I was up the whole time. Yeah. But I also want to talk to you about the year that you did play in the finals, right? Yeah. In 2000, because I yeah. seen those 17 games, man, that must, that year must have felt like it never ended. eh? Cause like, bro, the <laughs> furthest I went with Roch was the conference final yeah. And it seemed like it was like June. Yeah. So it must have been the end of June for you. Yeah, it was. Yeah, I think it was the end of June because I remember, oh, my gosh, we I was in Buffalo and then I got so 99, 2000. That's not the year. Yeah. 99, 2000. I got called up right before the playoffs. 
and went okay. to Buffalo, and I was like, oh, great, black aces again. And yeah. we got knocked in the first round by Philadelphia, and they sent me down. And then I got to play in the American Oh, okay. So, so I played all pretty much all the games there and went to the finals, and we lost. So Rochester lost two years in a row in the finals. So we Jeez. lost to Hartford that year, and the year before they lost to Providence. So, okay. uh, so that, that was quite the season. Yeah, bro. I, I couldn't even imagine playing that long. Like, I couldn't believe how long we were playing. Like, it was beyond belief, Jean-Luc. Like, I'm like, oh, man, yeah. Like, training camps were, like, beginning of September back those days, right? Like, yeah. September 7th or whatever it'd be, right? And then it was literally, like, June the 7th. I'm like, man, I played, like, a long time this year, right? Yeah. These are the guys. Nice. Yeah, sorry. Go ahead, Jean-Luc. 98, 99, I remember I moved into my hotel in February in Buffalo after the call-up, and I literally checked out, I think it was like July 1st. I got I got to Canada after Canada Day. After really? The and That's how long I was in Buffalo. Was it the Marriott at Miller Sport? Marriott at Miller Sport, correct. Because that's the year that we went to the Stanley Cup final with the Buffalo Sabres. Oh, so my I God. Up, I was up the whole time. So that's oh why I never my god! Yeah, so that was a long year. Dude, you were around the dressing room after yeah. that game. I was. Did yeah. you see Lindy at full capacity when he was going berserk? Well, I didn't see it at full capacity because by the time I made my way down from the stand, like I yeah, he went over everything. But yeah, it was uh, yeah, it was it was a crazy experience, honestly. But Whoa. just seeing. Seeing these guys get ready for that that whole series and everything, you know, like the Dougie Gilmore and all these guys, it was yeah. Pekka and Dominic Hasek. It was it's an experience that I'll never forget. Hasek was the first name actually that I wanted to ask you about because you know your second year pro, dude. You're 21. You're probably even 20 for a good part of that stretch, and you're playing with the Dominator. And you're up for like three months, bro. So you were up there. It wasn't a one-day call-up. Yeah. The Dominator, man. Like People don't understand how crazy that guy was as far as dedication. And I'm going to tell you a true story. When, so 98-99, right? We're in the Stanley Cup final against the Dallas Star. And I want to say right before game three, we have a morning skate, and Dom tells me after a morning skate, he's like, stay on the ice with me. I was like, all right. He's like, <laughs> 10 book, 10 book, top the circle. If you score one goal, we start over again. So he had 10 pucks at the top of the circle, and I had to take full-blown slap shot at him, and every time I score, we'd start over again. And I'm <laughs> going. And I'm just shooting, and I'm so close to him. I'm like, dude, I'm going to hurt this guy. And we're going and going. And Brett Hall, Joe Neuendijk, they're on the glass and they're just looking like, what's going on here? Is Hashek not playing tonight? And finally, it was uh, Lindy Ruff came and just yelled. He's like, get off the ice. He literally yelled, yelled at Dom and I to get off the ice because it's a morning skate. You're in the Stanley Cup finals and he's trying to work on one-timers from Brett Hall to make sure he can stop every single one of them. I mean... You'll never see somebody do stuff like that again. He was he was a very quiet guy, but he was so dedicated to that team and to his craft. It's incredible. Yeah, like I think that he, he's the best goalie of all time. Like I don't I could I could can't see how people can make a case 
Like, yeah. I know Patrick Wall with the accolades and you know what I mean? But, man, yeah. Hasek was a different bird, man. He's a different animal, man. <laughs> yeah, he was a different bird. Probably the only goaltender in history to tell his defenseman not to block shots. Like, he would be like, <laughs> don't block shots. He's like, that's my job. I was like, okay. <laughs> no, uh, yeah, exactly. Um, Jean-Luc, so, okay. I got to ask you about Alexei Zhitnik because he's a defenseman, right? And because you would have, you would have like, you know, you, you could have been doing drills and he was your partner. That guy I felt was like above everybody, like what my experiences were being on the same ice. But I also wanted to ask you about Cunny, bro. Cunny was my coach for four straight years in Raj, right? And I know that you played with him. And, yeah. and I was just wondering if if you guys were close when you played. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So Randy Kenworth is a guy that uh, you always knew was going to be a coach. And it's funny because you play with these guys. And later in, in my career, I played in, in uh, Columbus with Kevin Deneen. And Kevin Deneen and Randy Kenworth are literally from the same mold. But he, he was, you know, obviously later in his career. And yeah. here's a guy that had a great NHL career, comes to Rochester and is just helping this team develop. And his dedication was absolutely ridiculous, but great family guy, loves to have fun. But he was, you know, there's there's a lot of guys you play with, you're like, yeah, he's not going to be a coach. Well, Cunny, you knew was going to be a coach right away and a wonderful human being. Yeah, dude. Yeah, And, and, and okay, so... Be doing drills with Alexei Zhitnik. It seemed like he was just like a magician. Like it seemed like it wasn't even real when he was handling the puck. Like, how, what yeah. did you think about Alexei, man? <laughs> he was extremely smooth as a defenseman to watch. And then if you look at his body, it really, you know, you would think he's a lanky guy the way he was skating, but he was so thick. Like his legs, I mean, he almost like his stomach. He was built like a linebacker, but he moved like a ballerina on the ice. And uh, I remember when uh, Pizza told me, he's like, you know, we call him Zorro. And I was like, why, why? is he named Zorro? He's like, no, no, no. He's like, you'll never fight. <laughs> he will slice <laughs> your face with his thick. And I never believed it. And I think we're playing against Philadelphia and uh, Chief Berube came after Z on the ice, and I'm not lying to you. He didn't spear him, but Z had that stick in Berube's face. He was just swiping that thing right at his face, and I was like, and Pizza, Pizza, he punched me. He's like, you see? That's why I call him Zorro. I was like, wow. But yeah, he was quite the player, and uh, he had a rocket of a shot as well. Yeah, dude, he did, man. He was also, he was a guy that I would always use if I was playing, like, any hockey Nintendo game. Alexei Zhitnik, man. I'm telling you. He was my partner uh, for a while there, and he was, like, a very underrated player, Jason Woolley. Jason Woolley? Really? Wolves, oh, my gosh. Wolves yeah, was man. smooth. Yeah, he was awesome. Oh, yeah. No, Woolley was a very, very good player. Now yeah. that we're thinking, now that we're saying the names. Okay, so so, you, so obviously you played with Eric Bolton, Eric Bolton, right? You played with Bolts and Roch, right? And, and, yeah. and, and was he in Buffalo? When, or he hadn't made Buffalo yet when you got up there, right? Correct. Yeah, he was not. He was, he was in Rochester when I was in, uh, now, when I was in Buffalo, yeah. Did you know his agent, Sugar? Mike Walcom, the little redhead guy? No, I did not. Okay, okay. Anyway, we that we had the same agent, me and Bolts. And and, okay. and this guy was a local Buffalo guy. 
he really started coming on the scene when Bolts made Buffalo, so that's probably why you, you, you didn't know him. But man, yeah. if, if you knew him, we'd probably have a pretty interesting story. That's for sure, buddy. <laughs> so, so yeah, and and man, the, the Rochester Buffalo stories and, and insight, I appreciate, dude, because I'm very proud to have been a Rochester American. Very proud to have gotten a sniff with Buffalo. They were my draft team. You know what I mean? I played a lot of preseason games too. I'm very proud of that. And and it really bothers me when people kind of, you know, talk down about the organization just because they haven't been a good team in the last five, 10 seasons. And I'm trying to explain to them, man, you don't understand how big of a deal hockey is in Buffalo. It will get past this. It will get past it. Oh, there's zero doubt about it. It's going. You can see how passionate they are with the Bills, and you can see how passionate they are about everything. I mean, I remember going to lacrosse games in Buffalo, and I'm like, are these guys crazy? I mean, they <laughs> love their sport. They just want to see the product on the ice. It doesn't matter if they lose 10 nothing, but if they go down swinging, they're going to be happy. That's all they ask for. And I think for the organization, they just need to rebuild that trust, you know, with the community. Really. I, I agree. I agree with that. And, and, and I wish them the best of luck for that. Jean-Luc, so now here's where it's going to get really exciting, buddy. We're talking expansion draft, brother. Expansion draft. For some reason, Jean-Luc must have been left unprotected, right? But he must have been one of the hottest commodities, though, that were unprotected because you yeah. got picked, bro. That, that was the weirdest uh, moment ever, so... Long story short, everybody thinks I got picked up in the expansion draft. Oh, I you didn't. didn't? I actually got traded in one of those side deals the night before the draft. And oh. Because I knew I was going to be protected, so I was like, hey, I don't need to worry about this. I was on vacation. I was in the no way. I was in Dominican Republic when I saw my name at the bottom of the screen on ESPN saying that I got traded to Columbus. And oh, I could not wow. believe it. But what happened is they traded me, and it was a side deal. I think it was me and Matt Davidson for uh, – and actually Jeff Sanderson was in the trade. No, no, Sandy was not in the trade. Anyway, it was a trade, a side deal before the draft. So basically, so Buffalo could not lose a goaltender. So uh, Columbus had to pick up one of the goalies from Buffalo as their first pick. So that way, Hashek and Biron, because Biron was becoming available, and they didn't want to – protect B-Run or Hashik, so I was part of that side deal. Oh, wow. Okay. That's the story behind the, the draft, yeah. Okay. But now, this was this was Columbus's first year in the league, though, right? Yeah. Now, it must have been special. It must have been special to be a part of that. I mean, one reason, Jean-Luc, which is pretty cool, man, you're the first brother to play for the Columbus Blue Jackets. Right. In history, yeah. the first black hockey player for the Columbus Blue Jackets. Right. So you'll always have that title. Right. Uh-huh. And, yeah. and, and 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 sorry, I don't mean to cut you off at all. Just looking at the career, it seems like you really made a home in Columbus, bro. Like like that's like you really made your mark there, buddy. Like like I know you're doing what you're doing now, but like just but before all that, like just just the consistency, the production like, man, I can't believe the stuff that you did. There. I can't believe the guys you fought when you were on that team. Like, you're talking <laughs> really, about the McCarthy. No, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead, buddy. No, no, go ahead. Uh, 
I really did uh, enjoy Columbus, and honestly, I still live here. And I didn't. It's not like I moved back here to do a TV gig. I've been here like since 2000, basically. I've stayed in Columbus in season, off season. When I was playing in Europe, I'd still come back to Columbus as my home. Uh, it, it was a it was a cool experience to be part of the expansion team, the crowd. You know, it was the uh, honeymoon phase, as we call it, when I was here. So we got great support. People were very enthusiastic about coming to the games and supporting the team. And kind of like Buffalo, they just wanted you to work hard and show an effort. And, you know, we had guys of character like the Jody Shelley, Jamie Pusher, Lyle Odeline, you know, it was just Kevin yeah. Deneen. So it was a fun time. It was a fun team to watch. Uh, and, you know, for us, the ownership. So Mr. McConnell, who passed away about there. Eh, 10 years ago now he okay. was a big part of it because he was in the locker room all the time telling the guys first of all why he brought the team to columbus and how proud he was of us when we gave the effort he didn't care about the end result you know if we lost five nothing to like i don't know the chicago blackhawks he didn't care it's how we lost and how passionate we're about it and he really instilled a sense of community with that team and that's kind of why i ended up falling in love with the city and the people here. Yeah, dude. I mean, I like people don't know about like things like this. Like people don't know about how nice it is to live in Western New York. I was talking to, to your boy, Scotty Metcalf about that kind of stuff. People also don't know about how cool places are in Ohio, bro. Like right. I played a preseason game in Columbus it was one of the coolest experiences of my life, bro. I actually I, I got two rounds with Mr. Jody Shelley, right? Wow. And like, yeah, man. And it was it was one of the coolest times, man. Playing in Columbus, the the arena's cool. It's a pretty cool logo. You know, Ohio's one of those states that are like, you know, they know about hockey, but more so than none. You know what I mean? Right. Like, I, th yeah. do you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. It, it's a market that's. Uh... And a lot of people in Columbus were Pittsburgh Penguin fans or Detroit Red Wings fans before the franchise got here. And now, obviously, the, the sport is growing like it's crazy how, how many people are becoming fans. You know, whether you talk about adult league or high school hockey, the NHL really did a good job of expanding the sport here. But for me, like as you look at players, you know, even in Buffalo, you look at all the all the. Uh, alumni that still live in Buffalo or meeting yeah. in Columbus. And we're building this here now in Columbus, you know, like Freddie Modine, Brendan Dumitsky, Jody Shelley, I, Andrew Castle, we all live here. It doesn't matter oh, wow. what city you're in. It's about how you feel welcome in the community because, you yeah. know, I could play for an NHL team in the middle of like Iraq. And if the community is great and stuff like that, people will be like, wait, why are you moving to Iraq? So it's like, I love people. It's not it's not necessarily about the beach or like the building and what is there to do. It's really about the people and that's how I feel so welcome here and love it. Community. The community love. That's right. Yeah, buddy. So so dude, I mean you had you had such a strong stay in Columbus, right? Very consistent with those three seasons. What I want to talk about was your decision to go overseas. Like Obviously, you went to a league that's very well-known, very well-paid, right? But there comes a time in every player's career where they got to make a decision. Like, what am I most likely going to see next year if I stay? Or am I ready to see something different? 
Well, my the main reason that I left is I want to say it was my second year. No, it was my third year in Columbus. So my second year in Columbus, I played 81 games. I literally missed one game because I had a broken foot and I could not put my boot. But I was trying to go for 82, but it didn't work out. But my okay. second, my my third year in Columbus, I played 41 games. That's it. And I I was on a back check. And I, I still remember we were playing as the, against the LA Kings and I dove to like kind of sweep the puck and the back of the boot of the player hit me right under the cheek. And then we got on the flight because we're in the Western Conference back in the days. So yeah. it was a home game. Then we get on the flight to go play somewhere else. And my, I could feel discomfort in my face and something starts swelling and I'm like, hey, what's going on? But, you know, you want to keep the streak alive. You don't want to miss games or – and. Two games later, I got in the fight with Barrett Jackman and literally just punched me like it was not a bomb or anything like that. And I felt a major pop and Ooh. broke my orbital bone. Oh, so but I think it was already cracked from that skate two games before. And once I got punched on it, it was so my eye, it was so bad. My eye actually dropped it, like it physically dropped. Like if you looked at me straight on, one of my eyes was lower than the other one. So I went through and got surgery on it and everything, but it never came back normal. Even when I was, you know, through the rehab and everything, anytime I would go in the corner and hit someone, I would get double vision. So that's when I made the decision. So the lockout happened in 04. So I I finished in Washington, then the lockout year happened, and I decided to go to Sweden to play like post January, whatever, just cause I knew the season was going to be canceled. And then the year after I got an offer to go play Montreal. And oh. now it, here's the thing. It was a two way contract and it was in Montreal. And I was like, I kind of look at my wife and I was like, okay, I'm getting all this money to go play Europe or I can go to Montreal. And you know, I know if I work hard, I can make the team. But then I always had that doubt. Like what happened? If somebody challenged me to a fight and I say no, right? Then you're in Montreal in your hometown. People are like, dude, this guy used to fight. This guy used to back up nobody. And now you can't. What's the reason for it? And I decide to, you know what? I'm leaving North America. I'm going to Sweden and Germany because I know I don't have to worry about the fighting part. And my eye, even when I was in Europe, I was having some problems here and there. But it was something that the North American game, I would not be able to sustain more than I, I think within five games I probably would have broke my eye again because till this day it's still not a hundred percent and it was something that I really didn't want to live with, especially in your hometown. Can you imagine you, Sean, signing with Toronto and knowing yeah. that really well that if you fight your it's over for you? Yeah. So yeah. So that that's what happened. Well, I think you made absolutely the right decision. One hundred percent. Right? My, son, my son is so mad at me because now he's 17 and he was a toddler back in the day. And my wife and I were talking about it the other day. And he's like, wait, dad, you could have signed with Montreal. I was like, yeah. He's like, why didn't you? And I told him the story and he, he's like, he's still mad at me for it. Well, but, 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 then, but then you could also add, now listen, there would have been a possibility that you wouldn't have liked that school in Hamilton either, right? That's right. So yeah, exactly. There's, been, there's a few different reasons, right? Like I'm sure you would have played on the big club, but man, I but for health and and just for future, very yeah. good decision. Very good decision. Yeah. I'm glad that you just brought up your wife as well, brother, because 
One thing I wanted to point out is just how beautiful your family is, buddy. <laughs> right? Well, you, you got man, I was saying you wanna you wanna be the honest truth. I, I was talking with my mom. I'm like, Mom, you know what? Like this guy that I have tonight, the way that people look at him, like teammates, like ex-teammates, like brass, like whoever it is, the guy's like Barack Obama, man. This guy's clean cut, polite as hell, never says anything rude, so proper. You know what I mean? He's got the family. The guy's That's Barack funny. Obama, man. <laughs> That's so funny. I think, you know what happened is as as you get older and you start shaving, because I, when I played, I always kept the goatee. And oh, you kept some, like, yeah. You try to keep, look rough and stuff like that because, you know, you want people to be scared of you. And then <laughs> once you shave it, you realize you have a baby face and now <laughs> there's no need for it. So, yeah, I, I look I look young just because I finally shaved after all these years. <laughs> yeah, dude, no, for sure. So, okay, so dude, so so and 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 trust me, I I I, I am watching I, I am watching the clock, so so don't worry, I'm I'm, oh, I'm almost done with it. Okay, so another thing I was curious about is just because a lot of players, um, Jean Luc, they have to come to that point where they're making a decision to go overseas, right? So now at this time, what point of the relationship were you with with your wife? Were you guys already married? And yeah. Yeah, so we were married, and then uh, so my she had a daughter before we met, and then my son was born when I was so my son was born during the lockout actually. He was born during the lockout. So when I decided to go to Europe, my son was a year old basically, wow. and then my stepdaughter was oh my gosh, she must have been like eight years old. So. We moved the whole family over there and, uh, yeah, had to find schools and everything over in Germany that year. So now now so, you're in you're in Germany, but obviously th- this is one of the best leagues in Europe. Everybody knows yep. that. Um, you know, players are well paid. You guys are taken care of. Was it a, was it a great experience, European experience with the fam? Like, like was it complicated? Fantastic. Fan- it was absolutely fantastic. And my... My son doesn't remember much of it. He's 17 now, but like he remembered parts and bits of it. But my daughter, she remembers everything. And we still have a lot of friends over there that come wow. and visit and we'll go. Uh, it was honestly for the family. You yeah. think about all the travel and the schedule in Europe. You you barely play. And you <laughs> like if you take your salary <laughs> for a game, I don't know why you would want to play in the American League unless you're chasing the NHL, really. Because yeah. it, made, it, it was so much fun. Uh, because first of all, you get to see every country. You get break. You get breaks all the time over there. So we That's got. Right. We, we. I was three and a half hour drive from Paris. Think about <laughs> that. So I would. I would go to Paris every other weekend just for fun. We could go to Belgium. We could go to the Alps in the Austria. So we got to visit so many countries, and uh, we had eleven imports on our team. So Jamie Starr, Sean Brown. Darren Van Amp, Craig Johnson, we're all on the same team. And it was, wow. you know, we had a, Don Jackson was our coach that year. So we had a Canadian coach, Canadian GM, and 11 North American on the team. So it was basically yeah. like being back home, but just in a different country. Yeah, dude. No, I hear you, bro. My only experience is the UK, and there was 10 imports right. for that league. So I know exactly what it was like. Yeah. Wow, bro. So, yeah. so now you... You played a long time there, bro. And like you said, with all those breaks, 
I couldn't even imagine the things you guys were able to see, all the things you're able to do. Like, I mean, just in the DL alone, bro, you had 136 games, right? So that's a yeah. long time, Jean-Luc. Wow, what an experience, bro. It, yeah, it was it was really a great experience. Uh, Sweden was great as well. The only thing in Sweden that was different, especially for me, is they, they, they make you sign these artist contracts, which are like six months contract because for tax reasons so i would have to literally sean like i would join my new team in sweden and i would not know a player and they'd be like in the middle of the season so it would literally like they would send me to like norway for like two three games to like have a training camp with a different team that was not associated with them so i'd go to norway spend two yeah. weeks practice with a team and play a couple of games and then i'd have to drive to sweden basically at midnight on a certain day and then join my team. So it was a little different in Sweden because there's only two imports. So there's oh, it doesn't matter different. if you're hurt, if you're sick, if you have a broken foot, they don't care. They need you They're, on the ice, right? So yeah. that was completely different than the German experience where it was more like, why we're having fun, et cetera. So that's, but, but I really enjoyed Sweden as well because it was, the people were wonderful. Uh, I got to play with a lot of great players that, you know, had some great careers in the NHL later. So it was it was different, but it was just as much fun, honestly. Yeah. So now this is the Swedish first league. Um, in your opinion, which league is better, the DEL or the Swedish first league? Because those are I, two top tier team like leagues. Yeah, I, I think the DEL was probably it's such different hockey but the deal yeah. was, it was closer to north american hockey uh, just because you had so many north americans playing the game there right so yeah. if you think about 10 imports per team which are basically all canadian or american and then you have a lot of germans that are really canadian american but they just got a german passport it's basically the american think of the old ihl back in the days that's yeah. basically the hockey the Swedish first league, the talent level was ridiculous. Like, you know, for me, I remember Philip Forsberg was on that team. Oliver Ekman Larsson was on my team. Really? Uh, Victor Rask was on my team. Like, just in that one team, we had all three of them. So very <laughs> young, elite talent. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, and the ice is bigger, and the system is more like soccer in Sweden. So that was the big difference. Much slower pace game, more thinking, versus Germany was more up and down hockey. Yeah, dude. So, and this whole time, you had your place in Columbus? Like, you had bought a house, and, and you that would be where you'd go back to, the same place? Yeah, same place all along. And then in 07, 08, we built a house a new house in Columbus as the family was growing. And that's when, uh, actually, I, that's when I signed in Jersey that one year. The state, yes. Stateside, because we're building our house and we didn't oh. cross across the pond back and forth. So uh, I ended up signing with Jersey that year. Yeah. What a strategy that was, bro, yeah, eh? Yeah. That's like, hey, the that's, only reason that I came back. <laughs> let's build a house. And wait a second, I got to stick around for a little bit. So I'm, I'm going to play stateside. That's pretty cool, dude. Yeah, that's yeah, pretty that cool, weird. man. Did your agent, did your agent like help you with that idea, or was it just strictly family? Like, like how to? Honestly, the one with the jer when I signed in Jersey, I, I didn't have an agent because I literally just uh, I don't remember exactly how it happened, but 
uh, Lula Morello kind of reached out. I don't know how he got my number. And he's like, hey, <laughs> we'd like to sign you guys. You know, are you planning to go back to Europe? And I was like, actually, I'm, th I'm thinking about finding a team here because <laughs> I'm building a new house. So I'd like to be stateside. And I just signed a one-year deal. But I, don't, I didn't have an agent when I signed that deal. It was literally directly with me. Okay, right on. Okay, dude. So here's here's a little bit of a fun question, bro. Because I, I I couldn't let you off the hook, man. I had to ask about this top shelf hockey club, Mr. Jean Luc Grandpierre, a goaltender. What's going on here, bro? That's you a goalie? Yes, that's my new passion, man. Actually, you know what? Man, you're one crazy man. If you go on my Instagram, I just got a new my, my mask. just got painted. They didn't even send it to me, but they put it on their Instagram page. It's I saw beautiful. that. It's beautiful. I didn't but, understand it, but I saw it. So I grew up always wanting to be a goalie. Grand Fjord was, you know, like when you were watching the the, the Edmonton no, Oilers back in the day, ah. you know, everybody's watching like Coffee, Gretzky. I'm watching Grand Fjord. I was absolutely yeah. in love with Grand Fjord. That's all I cared about is wanting to be a goalie. But my dad wanted no part of it. So the minute <laughs> I retired, I decided to get myself some gear and start wow. playing goalie. I absolutely love it. Are so you a good shelf, goalie though, Jean-Luc, or what, man? Okay, let's. What is good? Hey, but you made the. but you made the team, and I see you guys won a championship in the first year. So the goalie's got to be good that wins the the league. That's right, but. You know, and that's the thing with Wikipedia. Anybody can write anything. I don't even know how that got on there because this is literally like a garage. <laughs> and somehow somebody went with that and I have no clue how to edit That's funny. Man. So. <laughs> right on, dude. Dude, I wanted to get some TV talk in before we go. Man, I, I, I can't get over how, how professional and how good you look on the camera, man. How did you get involved with the Jackets TV? Did they recruit you, or how did it, how did it all come out? It was uh, it was kind of funny how it happened. So obviously, I've been around Columbus, and after I retired, I stepped away from the game completely. I you know I didn't want to get into hockey in general. I started doing the real estate thing, and you know, love it. And then I want to say three, maybe four years ago. Uh, one of the guys reached out from Blue Jackets and said, hey, would you be interested in doing some radio with us during the playoffs just to hop out? And I said, sure. Did a couple of games and really started to like it again because once I retired, I kind of like wanted nothing to do with the game. I was like burnt out and I just yeah. I didn't want to hear it. And then all of a sudden you become a fan again and you start yeah. watching the game and it's a completely different perspective. And uh, that's how it started. And then Bill Davidge who was the studio analyst. I knew him from way back when I played. I ran into him into the garage one night and he's like, like that's it for me, man. He's like, I'm retiring next year. He's like, you should inquire about this job. It's it, it's great. And I was like, eh, I'm not sure because I really want to step up my real estate. And okay. uh, long story short, it was, uh, you know, I inquired, I interviewed, and then I got the gig and absolutely love it. It's been a, it's been a true blessing, honestly. Uh, and one of the reason why I enjoy it is because, you know, when you just retire and you look at players and you're like, oh, you did this wrong. I would have done that better. My, my. And then you almost resent the game because you, you get pushed out of it in some way. <laughs> I'm not there anymore. You know, right now I'm watching it literally as a fan, not as a coach. You know, I will give some pointers, but 
I just want people to enjoy the game. That's all I want. I'm not there to pick on people and say, you did that wrong. So it's just entertainment, having fun. And, you know, you talk about that smile. Every time we do a show, I'm having fun. And if I'm not having fun, that's when I'll quit. <laughs> right on, bro. So how, how often do you do it? Like, do you do every single Columbus home game? Like, how, how does it work? So I do eight. So last season, oh, so every we do every single game. So every the, game. Yeah. So we're the official broadcaster for Blue Jackets game over at like Valley Sports. So it's literally like I do all 82 games. This year we're doing wow. 76 because of the ESPN game. So if ESPN is carrying the game or won the national broadcast, we we don't cover it. But besides that, I do every single game, road and home. Yeah, buddy. So I did read that you're, and that's excellent, man. Congratulations. I did read about about the fact that you're a, 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 a really good real estate agent in the in the state of Ohio, right? So yeah. that that's is, is that still something that that you're that you're growing and growing and growing, or is the TV now more taking over? How it's, how does it compare? It's both, honestly. The the, the TV. He's taking a good time, obviously, but the, the the good thing with the real estate is like, I've got, I've gotten pretty good at it that I can handle both at the same time. And obviously nice. summertime is really, off season is really when the real estate thing cranks up more. So it's a perfect balance between work and work, I guess, but just two different jobs. But yeah, the real estate thing, Sean, is, uh, it's so much fun. And if you're competitive, it's a dream job. It's, it wow. really is. You see why it's so easy to look up to you, dude? You see all this awesome stuff, bro? No, I need to point this stuff out because, dude, like, honestly, this is a time, like, especially with the whole COVID and the, the pandemic and, you know, John Luca, like, all these people, you know, we got record numbers of people being depressed and this and that. Like, right. people really need to hear good stories, man. And, like, I'm, I'm yeah. telling you, man, everyone I told – I'm like, man, my guest I have tonight, this guy, man, everyone just loves him. He's doing so good. He's such a loving family. He's a good father. He's just a responsible man. And and those are the type of people I like having on this show, bro. So I appreciate the stories. Man, I'm so happy what you said about the whole Buffalo thing and Rochester and Don Luce and pizza. And I could go on forever and ever, man. And and I I'm, I'm, I hope you had a good time. But I'm going to put you on the spot, Jean-Luc. I'm going to ask you if you come back for a part two live on the air. Definitely will do. I think next time we need to talk about a little old school and then we got to talk about family, man, because family is so important. And like, I want to, like, I have so many things in my mind that I want to tell the public because you just okay. talked about being depressed and everything. I think the number one thing is people are, they have that biggest fear of change and change is a good thing. You know, change is a great thing. We see it in our society right now. But if you're afraid to make that step, you'll never be happy because one day you're going to die and you're going to be like, I wish I did this. I wish I did this. I wish I did this. Right? You want to start a podcast? Look at you. Get a huge podcast. You know what? In two years, you might say, hey, I want to start a TV show. There's nothing that stops you from doing it. So, Chase so how great. about this? Okay, no, and this is incredible. How about this? I think I might have to bring you back sooner than later, dude, because that, that's no, no, but that's a topic that I kind of want to get into like in the next couple of weeks. So yeah. are, are you cool with that quick of a turnaround? Yeah, I am, man. I, I mean, honestly, 
I took the step to go to Europe out of nowhere when everyone was asking, what are you doing? And then I took the step to go into real estate when people were like, dude, just stay in hockey. And then I went on TV when I had no clue what TV was about, like literally never been in front of camera beside an interview. So it's, it's something that you cannot let fear dictate your life because it's brutal. Right on, dude. That's man. That's I, I'm I'm I, I feel blessed uh, to have had these talks with you today, buddy. And um, we're gonna end it there. So I wanna thank the listeners for tuning into another episode of the Sheriff, featuring special guest Jean-Luc Grandpierre. Man, it was such a, it was such a good time, guys. We'll see you next time. Woo!